Hello, everyone. Welcome to Quantum Catechesis. I'm Father Joe Krupp, and you are not in today. Today, today is Wednesday. Is it still August? It seems to me we're close. Last day of August. This is the last day of August? Oh, my Savior. Uh, it's the last day of August in the year of our Lord, 2022. Yes. 22. And I miss you guys. It feels like we haven't done this forever. And I know we just did it. Like action-packed week. Oh my gosh, yeah. We went to war, sis. And then yesterday, when in, I went into complete meltdown. Uh, and uh, deservedly. You think so? Yes, very much. Man, crazy day yesterday, and I may have snapped. You really didn't. But I'm fine now. Uh, one thing to let you know and ask for your prayers, my uncle Dan Krupp went to be with the Lord, uh, yesterday morning, uh, long, hard fight, beautiful man. You may remember we all prayed for his beloved aunt Patricia, um, gosh, probably three years ago. Um, so he's home with the Lord now, uh, funeral is tomorrow. So let's keep his beautiful family in your prayers. They are wonderful. They love their pa. I'll tell you, I'll tell you. And I know I say this, there is nothing sadder to me than someone dying alone who has family, you know, but here he was on his last day on earth, just surrounded by his kids just fussing over him, loving on him. He went out knowing he was loved and knowing he'd see his girl, which is, I think, what he was all about, frankly. So good for him. Uh, they were big fans and supporters of our show. Uh, they lived far away and had no connection to our parish except uh, me and my pretty face. And they uh, actually sent support for this show. They sent support to our parish and our school. Um, so Jesus bless you, Uncle Dan. Uh, give mom a hug. Actually, he's not watching this. He's like, are you serious, loser boy? I can stare in God's countenance. And plus, he probably now knows more about the Crusades than me. <laughs> so when last I left you, uh, the Crusaders basically lost every city they took, just about. Uh, they held on to Accra or Acre. And I know I keep saying Accra or Acre. I have had historians tell me it's Accra. I've had them tell me it's Acre. I've had them tell me both are fine and neither are right. I mean, just, I don't know. I give up. Either way, uh, Saladin started kicking their butts and finished when he died. <clears throat> so now we get to the Fourth Crusade. And the Fourth Crusade is really interesting. It goes from 1202 to 1204. And I'm going to walk you through it as quick as I can. It's not going to be like the others where we go day by day, which I felt was really important. But uh, you're going to see on this one, a day by day would not be much longer. This is a weird little crusade. It started in 1198. The crusade officially didn't. But in 1198, Pope Innocent II called for a new crusade. And then in November of 1199, a group of French knights took crusade vows. We're going a crusading. And they said, but they said it with a French accent. They are going to the crusades. So they made a treaty with the Doge of Venice. And if you don't know what a Doge is, like um, basically Italy didn't become Italy for a long time yet. It was a peninsula with a bunch of city-states. And some of those city-states were ruled by a Doge, a uh, elected person who um, had a, basically a lifelong term. And depending on when you're reading about them, kind of a king-like power, although over time that power diminished and it became, yeah, but a doge is a, the head guy, the El Presidente, as they say in Russia. Did you find that funny? So. El Presidente, as they say in Russia. You don't find that funny at all. So he was appointed? He, he was elected. Okay. Um, and this guy, Enrico Dandolo, did I already say that? Did I say his name? Yeah, no. No. Uh, he was wily. He, usually they appointed them younger and they ran out their term, which was their whole life, or if somebody accidentally assassinated them, uh, or if the political winds took these people. In other, again, it's kind of what you and I would call classic Italy. Uh, well, what are the rules? Eh, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. You got to do this a lot. 
We always joked about that in Italy, how many people just do this. You can't see, but I'm shrugging my shoulders and making this nonchalant face. So is it kind of like the royal family or whatever? Yeah. You couldn't be bothered with the, with the business. Yeah, and they didn't have royalty, right? This was they had nobles, uh, and of course the nobles did all the voting. Uh, but those nobles would vote, and then like they went through even periods of times where they would have like uh, there was one point in Venice for a long time it was forty nobles voted, and then at some point they deadlocked, and they were like forty one nobles vote. You know, uh, so things like that, you know, uh, but they were the spiritual and political leader of their little city and, or city state. And in this case, Venice, holy cow, was wildly powerful and wealthy. Um, it would be hard to overstate. Uh, but they made this treaty with the Doge Enrico Dandalo um, that you're going to help us get there. Right, you're gonna build ships because that's what Venetians were good at. Bad in pizza. I'm just kidding. Uh, so here was the thing. In 1202, they got there. It takes a while, right? It became clear that there weren't a lot of crusaders and there wasn't a lot of money. And so, what was the response? Well. Dandalo had a problem here, and the crusaders had a problem. We have needs. Uh, and what was the needs? Well, first of all, Dandalo had two problems. Let's do this. First, the Crusaders still owed him money from the ships he already built. And they didn't have it. They didn't have close to it. And the Crusaders owed him money for the ships he promised to build so they could go on crusade. And he didn't have the money to build them himself. Right? This is a tremendous amount of money. In today's dollars, we'd be talking billion dollars. Not literally, I just mean a lot, a lot, a lot of money. So they all had this great idea, right? Well, we want to go a crusading. Uh, we need ships to do it if we want to go crusade in the Middle East. But you know, the Byzantines are right there. And they're in political turmoil. So the first thing the crusaders did was invaded Hungary. And you're like, oh, were there a lot of Muslims there? Mm -mm, no, this was Byzantine. And not only that, but the king in Hungary uh, had taken crusaders' vows. He was with them. Let's go. And they were like, well, first, we're going to kill you and take over your city and pillage it. Because we need the money so that we can pay back Dandalo so that we can go crusading. Isn't this nuts? Yes. So what did they do? Uh, well, let's just get after it. Now, Pope Innocent III uh, excommunicated the Venetians and said, I see what's going on there. Don't you dare attack Constantinople. Um, but the message never got there. Nobody knows what could have possibly happened. And instead, in what is probably the wildest move of all the Crusades, the Crusaders took Constantinople. Not a Muslim city, not a city where Christians were in danger and trying to, no, 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 they needed the cash. And there was so much political turmoil in, in it, and I'm not getting into it, because it's so-and-so deposed, so-and-so who excommunicated, so they, it was a wreck, and the Crusaders went, well, that looks delicious. They seized Constantinople in 1203 and put a guy named Alexius IV on the throne. Well, they gave him that name. In late January, then, uh, of 1204, um, another guy took the throne and gave himself the name Alexius V. And he told the Crusaders, you need to leave. Get out of here. And they said, sure, no problem. And then raped and pillaged and destroyed for four days. This is an event called the Rape of Constantinople, and it was unspeakable. Now, to be clear, this wasn't out of the blue. I forget what year, I wanna say 1188, but don't quote me. The Byzantines in Constantinople killed all the Latins, uh, did a massive purge of Romans. We, we would, they said Latins by then. 
So it wasn't like it was all peace and utopia before, but this kind of ended any hope. Uh, they, um, what do you call it? What do you call it when you do something obscene to a holy place? Profaned, they blasphemed, they, I forget what it's called, but it's naughty. It's naughty. And they did that. Um, there are stories that the crusaders brought prostitutes into the high altar of the patriarch's church and had sex with the prostitutes there on the altar. Um, they were just awful. A lot of Christian treasure was lost here, by the way. Um, when you hear about, well, we had, um, you know, this relic from the second century of Christianity and we don't know where it went. This is why we don't know where it went. The Crusaders took everything of value that wasn't nailed down. And some of it that was uh, burned, raped, pillaged, killed the whole thing. Um, yikes. And then they founded the Latin Empire instead of crusading states out of all the stuff and cities they took from Byzantium. Okay. So, so far in the Fourth Crusade, uh, we've killed a ton of Christians and taken Christian cities taken Christian treasure, taken Christian relics, and that's the Fourth Crusade. We're done. What happened to the shipbuilding? Didn't really happen. All that treasure came back to Venice and to the Crusaders, uh, and they were like, let's just go home. So everybody went home with a ton of treasure. That was the Fourth Crusade. Can you believe this? And we're like, why is it called a crusade? Because, see, isn't that a great answer? Now, the Byzantine Empire, of course, was totally weakened by this. And um, they did manage to form a little government in what was left in 1235. And then in 1261, they recaptured Constantinople, okay? Uh, but all of this really weakened the Byzantine Empire, and it never recovered. In 1453, the Turks took the city uh, and never gave it back, right? They renamed Constantinople to Istanbul, um, and it's never been a Christian city since. Oh, question. I'm on the wrong document. Hold on. Let me come over here. I'm getting, I'm getting some questions here. Das is good. Let me put my glasses on. But isn't that crazy? I can't find our document, sis. Uh, <laughs> okay, guys, sorry about this. It's okay. all Carrie's fault. So the word, first of all. Quantum catechesis. <laughs> sorry. Okay. Desecrate. Yes. Desecrate. They desecrated the sacred altar. This would be the, this is their equivalent of St. Peter's in Rome. And the Crusaders took prostitutes on that altar and did awful things. Were the troops ordered to rape and pillage or were they sent in and raped and pillaged of their own accord? Uh, in a sense, sent in and then were like totally geeked about it. Uh, the thing about pillaging, you keep your stuff. You know, if you find a hundred gold coins, you're going to go home with that little, you know, probably half of it. Uh, you know, the other half you kick upstairs. Um, there was so much hate between the East and the West that, and the West was tacked and the East, yeah. Yeah, they ordered them to take the city and they ordered them to pillage because they needed the money to pay for the ships to go on the crusade that they didn't do. See, this is how the government works. All right, so that's the fourth crusade. Would you like to hear about the fifth? <laughs> so, you know, some time passes, as you can imagine. Uh, and now we're to 1217. Are people happy? Mm -hmm. Okay. To 1229, you're like, holy crap, that's a long crusade. See, that's Spanish. Uh, now, before we get to that, like you might be saying, what's going to happen after this when the Fourth Crusade didn't even go after any Christian holy sites or any? Well, I could tell you people still were geeked out about crusading itself. 
And uh, probably the best evidence of this would be in 1212, which is between the two crusades, this event called the Children's Crusade, and there's that huge squirrel. Nice. Do you see him? He's coming by your window now. Anyway, uh, in 1212, European children gathered together and marched through Europe toward the Middle East to go on crusade. True story. The largest group got to Lombardy, uh, although some did get to Genoa. Uh, a couple got to Rome. Uh, but... You know, um, it never got to the Middle East, and almost none of the children came home. Most of them were captured and sold into slavery. So that's that. Uh, but before we get to the Fifth Crusade, what we're going to do, I got to tell you about a heresy that figures into the rest of the Crusades. And you remember what a heresy is. There's heresy and schism. Heresy is like an idea or a teaching that goes against the dogma of the church, but is being presented as, you know, Catholic. Um, schism is when somebody breaks away from the church in the name of a heresy. Okay. Or maybe even not in the name of heresy. But the most vibrant heresy in Europe at the time was called uh, Albigensianism or Cathars. Okay. The same name or the different names, same phenomena. Uh, why were they called Albigensians? Because uh, in the city of Albi uh, in northern, southern, southern something France is where it really flourished. What, what did Cathar what did the Cathars teach? That the universe was a battleground between good, which was only spirit, and evil, which was matter. And you're like, wait, didn't we have this heresy in the 400s? Mm -hmm. Yes. There are no new heresies. Uh, once you get to about 450 AD, we run out of heresies. Every heresy afterward is a regurgitation of previous ones with maybe a little twist, maybe a little hot sauce. Um, in this case, the idea that matter is evil is a pretty prominent one, or that matter doesn't matter. <laughs> I just came up with that. They believed that human beings were spirits trapped in physical bodies. And so they carried out extremely severe penances, beating themselves, disciplining their body, castrating themselves. Let me just say this. Ow. Um, the leaders of that religion um, lived, you know, really austere. Um, and they avoided, now get this, any food that came about as a result of sexual union. So, like vegetarians, basically. Uh, or I guess more, what do we call those people? Not vegetarians, but the ones who won't even eat, like eggs. Yeah. But sometimes, uh, if yeah, they're college yeah, yeah. students, though, they'll often wear leather. Um, I know what you're saying. You know what word. So what was the deal? Albigensians or Cathars flourished, particularly in France, Vegan. and vegans. Yeah, I think they were vegan, uh, which was also a car produced by Chevy in the 1960s and 70s. That was a Vega. Do you know about that with Novas? Did I ever tell you this story? When Chevy tried to sell Novas in Mexico? Nova, right? In Spanish means it doesn't go. Yes, yeah, did. That it means great. it doesn't run or it doesn't go. And it's so weird to try to sell a car that, well, buy this car. What's it called? It doesn't go. That's yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, I got a question. Was Robin Hood in the Crusades? Yeah. Um, back two Crusades ago, in the third one, uh, if he existed, then he would have been an archer from England who uh, the English longbow was considered like artillery as now. Those guys could do things with the longbow that were unfathomable to us today. Um, yeah. And it wasn't even accuracy as much as it was they were firing three-foot arrows 
a huge distance. And it was like a black rain, they called it. They could blot out the sky, supposedly. Uh, yeah, holy crap. Anyway. Uh, where were we? Cathars. Okay. So what's the deal? These guys were a problem. And the church decided we needed a crusade against Cathars and Albigensians. And it is this crusade, seriously, where a pope uttered the immortal phrase, kill them all, let God sort them out. When the uh, crusaders arrived at a French city to kill the Cathars or Albigensians, uh, and the soldiers asked the, the, the pope, well, when we get there, how do we know who's faithful and who's a Cathar? And the Pope said, kill them all. God will do the sorting. Right? Lovely, lovely man. Uh, so what happened? The years 1209 to 1219 saw the beginning of this Albigensian crusade. Uh, this was a campaign against the Cathars or Albigensians in southern France, and a guy named si Simon de Montfort led this crusade on behalf of the Pope. Uh, so let's walk through them. In 1213, Pope Innocent III began to plan the Fifth Crusade for when a six-year truce in the Middle East ended, right? <laughs> so the Pope knew the peace treaty ended in 1217. So in 1213, he's like, let's line up our ducks in the name of Jesus. Uh, but Pope Innocent, far from, died uh, July 16th of 2016. And the next Pope, Honorius III, continued the prep, right? Let's be ready. The peace treaty ends now next year. Let's be ready an hour after it expires to go reclaim uh, the Holy Land for Christianity. So uh, basically they went after Egypt first. From 1217 to 18, Andrew II of Hungary tried to take Accra. From 1219 to 1221, Cardinal Pelagius led a crusade into Egypt. Uh, he tried for Cairo, but he was defeated. Uh, the Holy Roman Emperor, who was neither Holy Roman nor an emperor, uh, Frederick II crusaded from 1228 to 1229, and he got Jerusalem in a treaty. What? Here's the problem. <laughs> Frederick had been excommunicated by the Pope. Uh, why was he excommunicated? Remember two crusades ago when the Pope was like, are you going to take crusading vows? And he was like, yeah, sure. Hold your breath, big guy. And he didn't take crusading vows. Or no, he took them, sorry, and didn't fulfill them. So the Pope excommunicated him. What did that mean? Well, Jerusalem was liberated for Christianity, but was under interdict, meaning no one there can receive sacraments. Isn't that weird? They lost Jerusalem in 1244 for the last time. We never got Jerusalem back, and we barely had it at that point. So, whoa, hey, how's it going, Bob? So there we are. The Fourth Crusade was extremely effective at killing heretics in France and not so successful at, thank you, Carrie, at reclaiming the Holy Land. Can you believe how crazy this all is? Now, we get to the, quote, the end of the Crusades, the Sixth Crusade from 1248 to 1254, and the Seventh Crusade, and you know this is a bad sign, in 1270, <laughs> right? Not 1270 to 1271 even, just 1270. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I guess the most important thing to tell you is you can tell maybe this is all starting to peter out. Not because of a lack of enthusiasm, or, you know, i.e., uh, the Children's Crusade, but because everybody's making money when there's not war. And this really can't be overstated. Uh, trade between Europe and the Middle East was becoming important to everybody. And there were more and more treaties. So, like, you remember how Frederick II was given Jerusalem in a treaty? Well, that was so that they could have trading rights, right? The, the Muslim army, the Muslim uh, sultan was like, can we trade in Germany if we give you Jerusalem? Yeah, can we trade in Jerusalem? Yep. And shook hands and good to go. 
The only problem to that, again, was Frederick was excommunicated by the Pope, so the lands he took were under interdict. Why would the Pope place people under interdict because their leader's a jerk? Because if they get mad enough, all those people under the king might be able to make him repent by refusing to work. Uh, what is this? So how many crusades were in the middle dark? We're in the dark. Well, we don't really, if this is, excuse me if this sounds picky, we don't really say dark ages anymore because we're figuring out it wasn't as dark as we thought, if you'll excuse the phrase. But the dark ages refers to Europe, uh, Western Europe, after the collapse of the Roman Empire. That slow unraveling of the authority and the centralized government um, led to a ton of chaos. But there was science going on. There was philosophy going on. So uh, right here where we're at is the Middle Ages, right? Then we're on the last two, the sixth and the seventh. So you need to know about these guys called the Mamelukes, okay? The Mamelukes were, uh, the name means quite literally, quote, one who is owned, Mameluk. Uh, they were, this is how they're defined, quote, Where'd I go? Non-Arab, ethnically diverse uh, slave soldiers and freed slaves who were assigned to military and administrative duties serving the ruling, serving the ruling Arab dynasties in the Muslim world. So you're talking about non-Arabs, Caucasians, Turks, Eastern and Southern Eastern Europeans who were slaves that served as soldiers in the Muslim world. Now, to be clear, the first time the Crusaders start encountering Mamelukes, Mamelukes is in 1154. And if you do your math, that's when they start losing. The Mamelukes were extremely powerful and adept in battle. They were the Muslim world's answer to Christian knights. And once these Mamelukes started emerging in battle for the Muslims, the Muslims start winning and don't look back. Um, when Mamelukes were purchased as property, they were considered kind of slaves, but above normal slaves because they can carry weapons. They could learn to read. Uh, and places like Egypt, they even rose up. And at one point, they're going to overthrow the whole Muslim world and take control. But before that, in Egypt, they were classified as, quote, true lords and true warriors with a social status above the general population. They were basically enslaved mercenaries. Now, how do you get these guys? Well, very simple. You uh, remember where we talk about how crusaders um, would sometimes lose a city to the Muslims and take all the people as slaves? Well, when they took the children as slaves, these European or Caucasian or Turkics, they would take the children as slaves and raise the boys to be this elite fighting force. Um, so Mamelukes were purchased as children and then raised in the barracks uh, in the citadel of Cairo, okay? Uh, because of their isolated social status, namely they were allowed and had no social ties and no political affiliations. And because of their incredible military training, they were trusted to be loyal to their rulers. They were fanatically loyal to who owned them. When their training was complete, they were discharged, but they remained attached to the person who bought them. They relied on their patron or their purchaser to help them for career advancement, and their patron relied on them to defend them and answer the call to battle. Uh, they were extremely tight-knit group. Uh, Mamelukes were deeply attached to their lord and to each other. They lived in their garrisons together and they spent all their time with each other. Uh, for entertainment, they practiced archery and mounted combat and they would do this for the public and each other at least once a week. They wanted to stay sharp. 
their, ex, their intense and rigorous trainings of each new recruit help them stay a formidable, formidable force in the Middle East. Again, you could say these were Islam's answer to European knights. Okay, so we need to know about these cats because they play a huge part in the future and in the collapse of the Crusades. Uh, the Sultans owned the largest numbers of Mamluks, but lesser emirs also, also owned theirs. A lot of them, as they got bigger and bigger, meaning more European slaves, more uh, Turkish slaves, they started to get appointed to positions of power. Now, as a general rule, if your dad was a Mameluke, you could not become one. Although as time went on, they changed that rule. Uh, so you gotta know about these cats, right? The, the Mamelukes. So now we're gonna get into the Sixth Crusade. Um, the Sixth Crusade was led by Louis IX of France and after invading Egypt, he was defeated and taken prisoner. He was released for ransom. Now, Louis IX also mounted the Seventh Crusade, but his invasion of Tunis also failed and he died there. So that's kind of it. But a lot happened here that you need to know about that's going to then take us to the end of the Crusader states in the Middle East, which at this point is Accra, and that's it, yeah? Uh, so we've heard about the Mamluks. Now we're gonna hear, and I'm not gonna get too much into it because this is like a thing of mine that I love and can get way too excited about, okay? In 1250, as far as the Europeans were concerned, a new force appeared on the horizon that changed the dynamic for everything, the Mongols, okay? Uh, you remember when I talked to you about steppe warriors, uh, the Mongols were kind of the perfection of the steppe warrior. And a guy named Genghis Khan united them and they began the conquest of China, which took them a long, long time. Now, Europe held very little interest to them uh, because when they encountered Europeans, they defeated them so easily in battle that they didn't consider it something they needed to think about too much. Uh, however, there's more than Europe, right, to the, I always do this backward, west of them. Yes, to the west of the Mongolians. Oh, there's the mighty Muslim empires there. And the Mongols steamrolled them. They did not lose a battle. Uh, in 1258, they sacked Baghdad and they uh, occupied Aleppo and Damascus. So now they're kind of, now the Crusaders are starting to hear about them. Now, to give you a sense of things, depending on who you read, what, well, how's this? Here's what everyone agrees on. At that point, Baghdad was the largest, most peaceful, and most beautiful city in the world that anybody knew of outside of China. You just can't imagine. Um, and it was considered the center of art and culture and mathematics and, and uh, poetry. It was a beacon. Uh, the Mongols absolutely steamrolled it. And they killed, this is the depends on what you read. Uh, the highest end you'll read is they killed up to a million people uh, in about three days. The lowest end you'll read is about 500,000. We just don't really have a way to know. Uh, but they were still functioning, Mongols were, under the idea that if you fought them, they had to kill all of you. Uh, why? A lot of reasons. One of it is grazing land. There really wasn't a thing in Mongolia about farming. They just didn't farm. You grazed. You grazed horses and you hunted for meat. And if your city's there, if we destroy it and we fill it with blood and forgive me, but meat and fat, uh, a lot of wonderful green lush stuff is going to grow up. And the other is, of course, in their world, as in many worlds at the time, if you left one person alive, they might come back for you. 
In fact, they will. They'll spend their whole life getting strong and getting tough so that they can kill whoever killed their mom and dad. You with me? So, of course, I'm not justifying it. This is awful. Uh, and people still, oh, Hitler, Hitler, Hitler. And rightly so. Hitler was the, uh, the devil. But to be clear, Joseph Stalin was much worse. And to be clear, Genghis Khan was worse than all of them. Um, uh, you know, again, depending on who you read, 50 million people died because of his orders and actions. Think about that. At a time when the world's population, the world's population wasn't a billion, wasn't close to a billion. Think about that. If you, you can look this up, one in four humans in the world right now have Genghis Khan's DNA. Do you know that? Most of it, of course, being China, where they raped and pillaged and raped and pillaged. The Mongols were simply unbeatable. Simply, I, I, I can't get into it. And again, this is where I'm afraid of going on and on and on and on. You, you just can't imagine. There is no equivalent in today's culture. There is no army that was able to stand against them or even give them a significant battle. <laughs> what you're going to run into is when Genghis Khan dies, his son Ogadai takes over. And they have a rule, um, I think it's called a Kurultai, that when the Khan dies, all Mongolian military has to converge back in Kar, Kar I can never say the city's name, Flint, and you bury the old emperor and you elect the new one or you accept the new one, depending on circumstances. In this case, Genghis Khan appointed his son Ogadai to take over. Ogadai inherited the largest military machine in the history of the world, and it's not close. And he was able to do a few things. One of Two of these are going to affect the Crusades. One is this force that just steamrolled Aleppo, Damascus, and, and a billion other places, okay? Uh, but the other is, he used one of his dad's generals named uh, Subadai and sent a scouting party into Europe to see, what do we got? Um, that scouting party obliterated every army between them and Great Britain. There wasn't even a close battle. This was a scouting party. Now, right, think about this. They sent, at this point, the Mongols sent about 250,000 people. No, 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 no. 150,000 down to get after China to keep that war going. They sent about 20,000 to scout all of what we call Europe and Russia <laughs> and most of the Middle East. And that's the army that steamrolled everyone a scouting party. It was so unreal to them that when they came back and, you know, they, they have a book called The Secret History of the Mongols where they talk about all, okay, and then in this year we did this, and this year we... Europe's conquest, where most of your ancestors died, if you're listening to this, about a paragraph. They just didn't even consider it fun, and they loved this crap. But it was just easy, and you're talking our mightiest armies. Okay. Now, the only defeat they suffered until their collapse, of course, is going to come at the hands of the dudes we just talked about, the Mamelukes. But to be clear, what happened was this Mongolian army got all the way to Egypt and was like, Psh, no problemo. But then Ogadai died. He was an alcoholic. He drank himself to death. They all were alcoholics, right? Uh, all those rulers. And, I, oh, see, and now I knew I'd forget. I want to say Monkey, but I'm wrong. It's the guy before Monkey. Uh, whoever came after him, they had to go home for the funeral, right? Everybody had to go home for the funeral. So outside of an Egypt, they left a force, a small force of Mongols and mostly non-Mongolian, when I say recruits, I mean, are you going to join the army or are we going to kill you? That kind of recruit. What ended up happening is those guys encountered the, the, the uh, what do you say, the uh, Sultan of Egypt, sent out the Mamelukes, and they defeated that force. Uh, so... What do you got? You've got a lot of Muslim and Christian armies getting absolutely 
steamrolled by the Mongolians. And again, I can't overstate it. It just wasn't close. Uh, even, you know, the mighty uh, hussars and the, of the Polish cavalry, the mighty Teutonic Knights, they didn't last one battle. It, it's just slaughter. Um, and at the same time, of well, let it go. See, this is what I'm talking about. So you've got the Muslims killing Christians and killing each other. You've got the Christians killing Muslims and each other. And then these Mongols steamroll everyone. So what did, what did Europe decide? What, is it, what did Europe end up doing? They kind of just pulled out and said, more Mongols are coming. And so we have to fortify our positions here. Now, as you can probably tell, they didn't keep coming. The next few Mongolian uh, Khans decided China was where you focus. In particular, of course, Kublai, right? Kublai just had very little interest. They considered Europeans ignorant uh, and backward, and we can conquer them anytime. Let's focus on the Chinese. Uh, and to that end, you have the end of the Crusades. A few factors here. Uh, one, everybody made money when there wasn't a war. Uh, two, it was harder and harder to get troops on either side excited about Crusades. It really was. And three, and there's a lot of reasons. I mean, I'm just picking my three. Uh, the one that, of course, that everyone agrees, I think I can say on these. And then the Mongols. People were either dead or terrified. So why go over there and start a fight when I know we've got a cowboy up for an army that obliterated everybody? Um, now, I think that's sufficient. But uh, Accra, the last crusader city, the Mamelukes in 1291 took it. And how did they do it when nobody else could? They did a couple really interesting things um, that other people may have tried and ran out of gas or who, who knows. But what we do know is at least part of the battle entailed the Mamelukes tunneling. Okay? And it, it's really quite an engineering feat as well as a physical feat that what you tended to do was you, you, you tunneled. You, you know, you face the city and you just start building a big old tunnel. And why are you doing it? Well, you can't penetrate the walls, so let's subvert them, right? If you can aim right in the dark, right, underground, you can eventually get a hole under the wall of the city. And then you can do a couple things. Christians did this. I don't know how Muslims did it because pigs are involved, right? Pigs have a ton of fat, yeah? And this is awful. Sorry, for those of you uh, tender-hearted, uh, sorry. And you basically build the tunnel and you put food in there for a ton of pigs. You pack as many pigs in there and then you light them on fire. And their fat will generate heat uh, that will, uh, wow, what's that, him? Yeah. Nicely done, Marius. Um, I'm glad he's by you. Um, yeah, anyway, the walls collapse, as you can imagine. And then you just march right in. And that's what they did. Uh, so, yeah, there was sporadic fights between different parties after that, but never another crusade. So bacon is a weapon of mass destruction? Heck yeah, baby. I do love that Albigensian joke I saw. I almost told it. <clears throat> um, but uh, Goyuk, yeah, Goyuk, Monkey, and then Kublai. You know, the problem the Mongols had was a couple things, right? Like, truly, alcoholism in their leaders was a problem. Um, they, uh, these were hard people who... Um, like the Mongols made special efforts to do things that other armies didn't at the time. Uh, and, and this is because of the genius or whatever you want, want to call it of Genghis Khan and then Ogadai. 
you know, like they talked about when people first encountered Mongols, when Venetians were the first Europeans to, con uh, to encounter them through trade, okay? They said, they're wearing mouse skins. Hey, that's how poor they were, right? They couldn't, they literally would sew together hundreds of dead mice. I mean, think about how poor these people are. And for them, like cleaning your clothes was an offense against the gods of water, right? So they were smelly, uh, they were dirt poor. And if you were alive, if you somehow survived childhood by some miracle, and you could even get to 17 or 18, you were one of the hardest people alive. Like Romans talked about this, how, not, did I say Romans? Yes. I'm sorry, Europeans wrote about this. They were almost weirdly shaped. They were so lean and muscular um, that their shoulders, they talked about their shoulders as being beams, right? That they could pull these bows. Uh, it's just unreal. You know what I mean? And one of the things they would do is try to raise generations of kids on the plains as if they were poor because they didn't want to become soft. Um, and so you, you just, you know, you can't overstate it. You, you really can't. Um, and uh, how tough they were. Uh, and, but alcoholism was a real problem. Um, actually, it wasn't a problem. They loved it. Uh, but, you know, when Genghis Khan knew his time was coming to a close, there's a famous story that he gathered his boys together and he held up an arrow for them and he snapped it in half, no problem, right? And then he took one arrow for each one of his boys and he put it in a bundle and he couldn't snap it. And his point was real simple. If you're united, you can't be broken. If you're not united, it'll be easy to break you. And the seeds of the empire breaking apart started in a weird way with Genghis Khan that his wife was raped shortly after they were married. And it was never clear to anyone whose son the oldest son was. Now, for Genghis Khan, I don't care. That's my boy. Not for his other sons. And the seeds of that rage of the oldest son being treated like crap by his others by the others and their hatred of him for maybe not being dads really leads to the collapse three generations later, right? It's really funny to think of how long people can hold on to that kind of hate. Uh, some of the Muslim hordes became Muslim. Many of them were already Christian, uh, a kind of Christian called Nestorian. Um, most of them, some or many of them, some form of polytheist, uh, polytheists. But in the end, you know, that became a thing: the Christian ones versus the Muslim ones, and blah blah blah. Richard Walsh. Oh, I love Richard. Should I read it with my totally authentic English yes. accent? On my excavation to Mount Zion, we received all the facts from the First Crusade. Crusader crosses and ballista bolts. Okay, that probably for you like, Father, are you from England? No. Okay, all kidding aside. Richard Walsh, love you, bro. On my excavation on Mount Zion, we recovered artifacts from the First Crusade, Crusaders, crosses, and ballista bolts. Isn't that cool? That is very bro, cool. did you get to like touch them? Did he get to touch them? He oh my there. gosh. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Ah. So, uh, I guess that's what we got. Yeah. I really didn't know if we would get through the Crusades today, yeah. but we did it. And you know what's ironic? Isn't this the seventh show? It is. There were seven Crusades. Yes. Worship me. <laughs> um, so that's what we got. I did have, is there time? Oh, there is. Okay. May I do a, okay. Someone did send me a question about how they were able to raise, these Europeans were able to raise armies. <laughs> Particularly, you know, you gotta remember, this is terrible, right? But if you had five kids, 
if two of them lived to 13 or 14, you were pretty lucky. Uh, childhood was violent. You died of sickness. You got killed. You got sold as a slave, whatever it may be. Or you just literally were worked to death. Um, and so where do these huge armies come from? Well, I don't know if you noticed. I'm not being funny. The armies got smaller every crusade. Um, anytime you have these big wars, particularly back then, the population felt it. Now, if, if you don't mind, uh, if you could look up yep. how many troops we lost in Afghanistan and Iraq. It's like less than 20,000 total. Okay, which of course, don't take this wrong. Oh my gosh, right? I'm not saying uh, that's not many. Uh, I, I think combined it's less than 20. I think it's 12,000 in one and seven in the other. How many troops the U.S. lost in Afghanistan and in the Iraq War? Okay. 7,000, 7,000, the end of 2019. Okay. Between the, the two? troops have died fighting in the wars of Iraq and Afghanistan has surpassed 7,000 at the end of the Oh, so total. Oh. See, the dog doesn't like this. No. So, hear me. Now, right, there's 330, if you don't mind, I'm gonna have you do some more math. Okay, or not math, but. Yeah. Okay, so think about this. There are 330 million Americans in our country right now. <clears throat> in the longest war in our history, Iraq and Afghanistan, <clears throat> we lost about 8,000, yeah? Yep. Well, really just 7,000. 7,000. Okay. And again, don't hear this wrong. Oh, my gosh. But now let's give you a sense of things. Can you look up how many troops we lost in World War II? Right. And I'm going to check out something while you're doing that. Wow, I think it heard you. It's scary. 298,000 Americans. So now. 1.9. I know. Japanese. So how many Americans were lost in World War II? 298,000 Americans. 300,000. Yeah. The U.S. population was 130 million. Yeah. So what that means is like when you talk to Dad, he knows dozens of people who died in World War II. If you talk to an average American today, they may not even know anyone who went over there and fought let alone went over there and died. How many Americans, uh, NPR did a thing on this, that one out of every three Americans was personally related to someone who fought in World War II, right? So you, you get what I'm saying? Now keep going backwards. The world population is even much, much smaller. So let's look at uh, world population in 1200, okay? About 390 million. And we're talking about battles in the Crusader, in the Crusades, where 50,000 people are lost. That's the world's population. It's 390 million. You, you get me? These wars, when you chose to go to war, you were changing the world in terms of population demographic. World War I was the biggest population demographic shift in the history of the world, right? What was it, 10% of the world died in that war. Think about that, that's insane. Um, in the Crusades, it's even worse. And having more kids is easy, keeping them alive is tough. So where were they getting all these people? Well, a couple things, uh, people were, for most of the human race living in Europe at the time, you woke up and you worked all day and then you ate and you fell asleep. Is that him still growling? No, it's a motorcycle. Oh, uh, that's how people's lives were. And so when someone would come to them and say, you can leave this life and go liberate Jerusalem for Christianity, uh, they're going, they're gonna go. And you also have the phenomena of if your king says, oh, you're going, you went. That all goes back all the way to pre-Christian Rome, a guy named Diocletian, who brought great stability to the Roman Empire by introducing the idea that the emperor is God or appointed by God. 
you know, I hate when they do this, and I get why they do it, because Americans love to worship themselves. But whenever you see, like, these middle these movies of the Middle Ages, there's always that one saucy person who really gets how it is. Those people didn't exist. It never occurred to them there was a different reality than the king is who God picked. Well, what if he's terrible? Well, then we were bad and God needed us to suffer. There was no other reality to think about. So when the king said, you're going, you went. You might not even, you could literally say that there were people who would think, I can't even complain about this. The dog's having trouble today, folks, sorry. Um, So that's where these big armies came from. But make no mistake, everybody suffered. Because as long as you're over 500 miles from home, months, years away from home, you're not farming. And it's a day-by-day system. So... How did they get them? By divine authority. And people were pretty willing uh, to do something different than their grandpa and his grandpa did and that they were going to do and their grandkids were going to do. And the second thing, it was a real hope for people that when they got to the Middle East, when they Christians did conquer those cities, one thing that happened naturally was... A world where it didn't matter that you weren't noble in Europe. You could you could be working your farm in July with nothing, a wife dying of hunger, and then nine months later be governor of a city and wealthy and powerful. Because over there practicality reigned. It didn't matter if you were the son of so and so. If you could fight, we need you. And if you were good at it, we'll give you power. We'll give you place. It's a meritocracy. For the first time, Europeans had a meritocracy that I could think of the first time. So there it is. Uh, money Money and power started it. Money and power ended it. Um, And you can never overstate the power of the Mongols ending it all. If you've heard of the story, uh, like this name in history, Prester John, which both Muslims and Christians, and one of the, probably the most dominant theory is, who is Prester John? Well, probably a mistranslation of Genghis Khan. Because all the Christians knew, right? The story was Christian crusaders all had this story that somewhere on the other side of the Muslim empire is a Christian king named Prester John beating the snot out of the Muslims. Well, that had to be Genghis Khan. It was the same time frame. And Genghis Khan wasn't Christian, but his mom was, and he liked Christians. Okay, uh, That doesn't mean he didn't kill them. He liked Muslims, and he killed a crap ton of them. They were delicious. Uh, right. They were delicious. <laughs> Just don't, okay, I almost, I almost made a bacon joke. Don't do it. So that's just a historical side note. When you hear about this Prester John during the Crusades, that's what that was. Um, you know, it's like telephone. Uh, Dan Carlin wrote about this, that, you know, you had Genghis Khan and however it sounded in Mongolian, and then it had to go through Arabic, and then it had to go through Italian, and then it got to whatever language they were speaking. They went, holy crap, there's a king over there named Prester John who's whipping the tails of the Muslims. And he was, but it was Genghis Khan, not Prester John. (laughs) Did you know that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So tomorrow we'll have something. Okay, we'll be ready for you tomorrow. And until then... um, I don't know what else to say. Yeah. My brain's tired all of a sudden. Yeah. We did good work today. Yes, we did. All right. Salad pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus, thank you for Uncle Dan, and thank you that he's home with you and his beloved. Please bless his kids with peace and confidence in the resurrection. Please be with my dad during this time. Heavenly Father, we ask you to take that desire we have in our hearts to conquer and to turn it inward so that with your Holy Spirit, we conquer our pride, our whatever, whatever sin, Lord, that we have that needs conquering. Help us turn the desire to conquer inward 
so that with your grace we can be masters of our emotions and our inner workings and aware, Lord. Father, all of those times that we did what we felt was right with the best of intentions and then it turned out wrong, we get that you saw it and you saw our hearts and you treasured what we were trying. But help us to be malleable so that we don't make those mistakes again, so that we don't do things in your name that are not for you. Jesus, we, we have all these people we love so very much and we carry them around in our hearts and we worry about them while we give them to you. And we have all those circumstances in our lives that cause us to fret. We surrender them to you. And we do this because we love you and trust you. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My Kung Fu is strong. I'll see you tomorrow. Peace. Is it over? No, it's never over.